Let's pray. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And for you I will wait all the day long. In Jesus' name, amen. So seven years ago, a woman named Wanda Dench sent a text message that would change her life forever. Uh, Wanda was preparing for Thanksgiving, and so it was the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And as she's preparing her house and getting things ready, she was, began reaching out to people that were supposed to be there the next day and making sure that everyone was going to bring what they said they were going to bring and so on and so forth. And in the midst of uh, doing all of that, she also wanted to reach out to one special person, her grandson. And so uh, Wanda decided that she was going to text her grandson to remind him to be there the next day. And uh, the thing about it is, when Wanda went to text her grandson, she didn't know that just a few weeks ago her grandson had changed his phone number. Now, if you've ever uh, changed, your, if you've ever texted the wrong number before, then you know that uh, when you text a number that you think is a different number, that text message still goes through. There's no stopping it because you thought it was someone else. So, uh, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, a 17-year-old high school kid named Jamal received a text from a number saying, Don't forget, Thanksgiving tomorrow at 3 p.m., my house. Jamal looks at the text, and he's sitting in class and wondering who texted me. And so he writes back, well, who is this? And Wanda, thinking it's her grandson, texts back saying, It's your grandma, duh. Now, Jamal, of course, thinks to himself, well, uh, maybe Grandma changed her number and she didn't tell me. So he says, hey, can you send me a selfie? And Wanda sends Jamal a selfie, and when Jamal sees the photo, he knows that's not his grandma. So he takes a selfie in school and sends it back to her, and he says, sorry, I'm not your grandson. But can I still come to dinner tomorrow? <laughs> and Wanda texts him back and says, of course. That's what grandmas do. We feed everyone. And uh, that is how this tradition was born. On that Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, seven years ago, Jamal went to Wanda's house, and they've celebrated Thanksgiving together, everyone since. In fact, uh, I recently learned that there's going to be a Netflix kind of documentary movie telling this story, really, about how one wrong text message can change your life. And over the years, Jamal has brought his girlfriend and wife and child now to Thanksgiving. And in fact, a few years ago when Wanda's husband passed away, Jamal was there caring for her with the rest of her family. And part of the reason I share this story with you this morning is because uh, it was a reminder to me that in the midst of all the craziness and just stuff that goes on in the world, uh, it reminded me of the reality that there are still good things happening and good people all around us in places that we may never know or hear about except in the midst of stories like this. And at the same time, I also share it with you because uh, in the midst of thinking about that story, I was reminded of a, of a quote that I saw on Instagram last week. And the quote said this, one of the greatest presents you can give someone is your presence. So one of the greatest presents you can give someone is your presence. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that quote uh, in light of the story that we heard this morning from Matthew chapter 25. And because if there's one thing that we know about the life and ministry of Jesus, it's that his presence was a gift to everyone that he encountered. And in the context of Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples at a time where things are about to get really interesting in all of their lives. 
See, uh, first and foremost, uh, this theme of, of the Son of Man coming in all of his glory, of, of Jesus being the King, is a theme that Matthew has talked about all throughout his gospel. He talks about it going back to, this is the purpose of Jesus' ministry, to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. And so, because Jesus is here, he is he's giving people the chance to experience what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. And so, uh, this is the context for this reading, but what happens after this in Matthew's gospel, if you go on into chapter 26, you get to the week we call Holy Week. And so essentially, what's coming next is that uh, Jesus is about to institute the Lord's Supper. He's about to celebrate that last meal with his disciples and then go to the cross for them. So this teaching that happens at the end of chapter 25 is really the last teaching that Jesus will do with his disciples. And because of that, he's telling them about a future vision, about a future day. He's pointing them towards uh, the last day, the day of his return. And essentially, this is the day that you and I might often call Judgment Day. And Jesus is the one who sits as the judge. And so he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another. To the right he will separate those he will put as the sheep, and to the left he will put the people who he calls the goats. And so essentially... Jesus is telling us that he's going to separate people, that when all the nations are gathered before him, he will be judging them and separating them from one group on the right and another group on the left. Now, uh, one of the things that this highlights for us is the reality of who Jesus is. You know, we often talk about Jesus having power and being in control of everything, but uh, this teaching really makes us think and see that in a powerful way, that Jesus is coming back to rule and to reign, that he always has been and will do that one day, that he will judge people and he will separate them according to how he sees fit. And this can kind of make us a little uncomfortable because we don't often think about Jesus in that way. And at the same time, it's a powerful reminder of who Jesus is as the king. It's a reminder of how Jesus reigns as the king and, and how he leads all of his kingdom. Because it's important for us to remember that Jesus is unlike any other king we'll ever hear about throughout all of history. And so the story tells us about how Jesus is going to reign in his kingdom. And, and when he tells us then is how he separated the people. He starts off first with the people on his right. And he says uh, that they will receive eternal life. And he tells them, when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. But the people on the left, he looks at them and he says, when I was hungry, you didn't give me food. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. When I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. When I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And so it would seem kind of at the most basic level then that the difference between these two groups of people is that one group cared for Jesus. That one group met him in the midst of all of his needs. You could even say that one group was present for him when he was in need and the other group was nowhere to be found. But as the story goes, things get a little more complicated because uh, in the midst of Jesus separating the people and telling them why he separated them, you'll notice that they both respond with the same question. That uh, both groups look at Jesus, and the first group, the group on the right, the one whom Jesus says cared for him, they look at him and he say, Lord, when did we care for you? 
And the group on the left that Jesus said didn't care for him, they look at him and they say, Lord, when did we not care for you? And so it would seem that both of these groups of people, though they've been separated by Jesus, are confused about the times they did or didn't do something. They either don't remember or can't figure out when that would have happened. And my guess is they're probably thinking to themselves, when did I see Jesus and not know? Or on the other side, when did I look past Jesus and not realize it? Right, but then Jesus goes ahead and and he answers this question for them. He says to the group on the right, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. And to the left, he says, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. So what Jesus is really saying here is that the difference between the two groups is that one cared for the least and one did not. And in caring for the least, it was as if they cared for Jesus himself. And those who did not care for the least, it was as if they did not care for Jesus himself. And so it seems that what separates these two groups comes down to a simple question. What did you do for the least? And that's uh, the question that I pose to all of you this morning. What have you done for the least? What have you done for those that you call the least? When you hear that phrase, the least, who are the people that come to mind and what have you done for them? See, because on the one hand, I know that there are plenty of you who have served in many different ways and roles uh, outside of your community here at St. Andrew, but also in the context of St. Andrew. Between our our health and wellness ministries, our social ministry, our global mission team, even the, the youth get involved in different kinds of acts of service. And so I think it's fair to say that to a certain extent, There are plenty of us who are doing that work of caring for the least in the community here at St. Andrew. And yet at the same time, I find myself thinking about my own life and the times in which I have overlooked those who are the least. Because I've done it more times than I'm wanting to count and probably more than I'd be willing to admit. And then I start to think about, well, why would I have done that? What are the reasons that I might have done that? And uh, one of the reasons I thought about was, well, I'm not really sure if they're going to be responsible with what I'm willing to give them. That if I don't know what they're going to do with it, then I'm not really sure that I should give it to them. And then I've thought about times when I'm just in a rush. When uh, I have a place to go or something to do and, and I don't really have time to give. And so I just move past people as if they're not even there, as if they don't even exist. Then, of course, there are those times when I've seen someone and I've thought to myself, are they being responsible with with the good things that they have? How do I know that they're really in need? What if they're just taking advantage of the goodness of people who are willing to give to them, but they don't actually need it? And my guess is you've had that thought before, and maybe you've even seen that happen before. And so when you see people who are in need, one way or another, you've probably overlooked them. That we have all uh, overlooked someone for one reason or another. We have overlooked those who are the least. And when we've done that, whether we realize it or not, whether we thoughtfully did it or not, it was as if we were overlooking Jesus himself. Essentially, when we looked at someone and we thought that they were the least and we did not care for them, we did not give them our, our presence It was as if we looked at Jesus himself, as if he didn't even matter. It was as if we looked at Jesus himself and said we were not going to care for him. 
And I don't know about you, but, but that just doesn't sit right with me. Because uh, when I think about doing that, as if I looked at Jesus himself and, and moved past him to not care for him, I start to ask myself, well, now what do I do? How do I recover from looking past Jesus, from, from not caring for Jesus? How can I make up for that? How do, I, how do I get myself out of this group on the left and back into the group on the right? What do I have to do to perhaps do enough? And what does enough really mean? How will I know that I've done enough to go from one group to the other? And while those questions are reasonable and even logical to a certain extent, ultimately, those are not the questions that we should ask ourselves. That really, there's one question that we should ask ourselves, and instead of being concerned about whether we've done enough or not enough, the question we need to ask is this. How can I be present for those who are the least? How can I be present for those who are the least? See, because if you go back to the story, you'll notice that the people who were on the right, the people who cared for the least, they were unaware of any consequences that their actions were ever going to have. They weren't uh, thinking that they needed to do this so that uh, they would get into heaven one day. They weren't motivated by their place in heaven. They weren't even thinking about, uh, oh man, I need to make up for the wrong things that I've done or for the times that I've looked past people. Well, at least I've done some good on the opposite side. They weren't even doing it to benefit themselves at all. They simply did it because that's what you do when you follow Jesus. That as followers of Jesus, we are called to care for those who are the least. That this is what Jesus himself has done. This is part of all of Jesus' ministry. And for us, it's, it's not out of some self-serving obligation or some self-righteous motivation, but rather just because that's what people of Jesus do. People who follow Jesus care for those who are the least. And we see this first and foremost in Jesus himself, and particularly in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That in his death, Jesus died for all of us who are the least, me and you included. And by his glorious resurrection, then, Jesus invites us to see that we have been cared for by him and that every part of his ministry, everything that Jesus has ever done, is about caring for the least. That whether it's the hungry or the thirsty, the poor or those in need, the sick, the foreigner, the outcast, those crying out for justice and those crying out for peace. Jesus cares for these people. And as his followers, we must care for them too. So what does that look like then? Right, because we do have some practical steps to give people food and to give them drink and to give them clothing, to visit with them. And that's where I'm taken back to the quote I started with this morning. That one of the greatest presents you can give someone is your presence. That if you want to care for someone, before you ever actually do an act for them, just be present with them. It's because when you're present with someone, you're giving them a chance that they can share their needs with you. When you are present with someone, you're inviting them into the opportunity that, that someone sees value in their life, that they're worth being heard, that they're able to be listened to and to be cared for just because you are there, that sometimes your presence is enough. Because when you are present with someone, it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate God's love for them because your presence is a gift. It's a reminder that God is working through you just by you being present. That God 
sees you as his hands and feet here in the world. He's using you to care for those who are the least so that through you they might experience Jesus. That as we say so often, Jesus is in each and every one of us and we go out into the world, we are carrying Jesus with us so that when people experience our presence, they experience what it's like to be with Jesus. And when that happens, when we care for those who are the least, when we share that experience of what it's like to be with Jesus, we're giving people a glimpse of what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven. And we know that in the kingdom of heaven, the king cares for the least. As I close this morning, I want to share with you a Facebook post from a member here at St. Andrew. Uh, He shared it in honor of Thanksgiving last week, and what he didn't know was that he was simply telling us this gospel story from Matthew 25, sharing a glimpse of what it looks like to bring them of heaven, the kingdom of heaven to us here and now in our everyday lives. Our brother in Christ, Gary Field, said this. I am thankful for people who know that we are in a troubled world. And instead of just complaining about it, they try to solve problems. I'm thankful for all of you who feed the hungry even though your own cupboards are bare. I'm thankful that those of you who don't have much know that someone always has less. And so you try to help. I'm thankful for those of you who know if you come across a person with no bread and you have two slices, you share and you both will have a fold over. I'm thankful for those of you who know that poverty is not a moral failing, that children don't ask to come here poor, nor do they deserve it. I'm thankful for the people who, instead of looking at people and seeing differences, they look and they see similarities. They see folks who are just trying to get through this thing that we call life. I'm thankful for people who realize when you go searching for and accepting the humanity inside of others, you will also find it inside of yourself. I'm thankful for all of you. If I could summarize Gary's words up into my own, I would summarize them like this. Gary is thankful for the people who have cared for the least. Because in doing so, they have demonstrated what it looks like to be in the presence of Jesus. And they've given all of us a glimpse of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you're not worried about whether you're going to be in the right group or the left group. Because Jesus has already told you. Jesus has already called you by name and told you that you have a place in his kingdom forever. And knowing that, believing in that as followers of Jesus, then we are called to send to be ones who go into the world and share the good news. We are called to invite others into the presence of the king to serve the least of these, just as our king has served us, so that they too may know our king. And you can have faith, you can trust and believe that on the last day, When the Son of Man returns in all of his glory, he will look at you and he will say, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these in my kingdom, who is a member of my family, you have done it for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.